getting started passive investing, we're going to be covering some of the key points when you're choosing a sponsor, some of the key things you need to know and how to go into it with the right mindset in today's episode. Let's get right to it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. If you're ready to start leveraging the power of partnership in your portfolio, then I invite you to invest directly alongside us in the same type of institutional investments that I personally invest in. These are located in some of the strongest markets across the country, operated by managers with decades of experience, and we come together to leverage the power of partnership to be able to deliver phenomenal returns. You can learn more and apply to work directly with us at vonfinch.com invest be able to schedule a time directly with a member of our team and see if this is the right fit for you and your portfolio. That's vonfinch.com slash invest. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today I've got a very special guest, Anthony Vecino. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing amazing. I'm uh, very excited to have you because we're going to dive into a topic that is relevant to all of our listeners on passive investing. And of course, for those of you who don't know Anthony, he is an author, real estate investor, serial entrepreneur, and is committed to helping people create a massive return on their life. He owns a multifamily acquisition business in Minneapolis, my hometown. So got to give a lot of love back to Minneapolis. And they're doing some really great things. And today we're going to be diving in to passive investing made simple. Anthony's the host of Multifamily Investing Made Simple podcast. And of course, following suit is the book to represent all the needs for those passive investors. We're going to be diving into some of the tips and strategies that are in that book. And uh, obviously, we'll give a little plug for you guys to be able to go out and grab a copy of that yourself. So you ready to dive into things, Anthony? Yeah, let's do it. Well, before we get into all the fun on passive investing, I'd love to start with uh, one of my favorite questions. And it actually starts by looking back at earlier in your life. What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Oh, that's such a good question. So when I was 12 years old, I, I played chess a lot. So one thing about me is I'm a competitive chess player. When I was young, I have really severe ADHD. And so playing chess was this a kind of remarkable thing for a kid who has a hard time like directing his focus, but it was a thing that my dad and I really bonded around and he was military. So he was gone a lot. So it was a thing that meant a lot to me. And I remember when I was 12, I went and played in the South Dakota state chess championship and my dad dropped me off and didn't stay for the tournament. He just picked me up afterwards. And when I got back in the car, I had my big trophy and I put it in the back seat and he looked at me, he goes, how did you do? And I said, I won. And he said, good, you were supposed to. And that was a really pivotal moment for me because it kind of put a chip on my shoulder for the next 20 years of my life. When I, as I was doing everything, I would I'd go into it with this mentality of like, oh, you're supposed to be the best. And 
that can be a good thing, but it can also be a very detrimental thing because what it led to for me was a life filled with achievement, but without fulfillment. And it was really empty and it was really frustrating to understand like, I'm winning, I'm doing all these things, I'm succeeding, but I still feel so empty. Why is that? And it was because my purpose and what I was doing wasn't connected to like a higher reason. It was just trying to live up to the standards. So that's the thing, like when I think about my childhood, that really comes to mind. And I think my life has really been a journey to try and figure out what it means to be the best version of me possible. And for many years, that was living up to the idea idea of what being best in somebody else's mind was. And now it's more, am I doing my best rather than am I the best? Well, it's such a big realization to have. And what a gift that you can actually remember that moment where you really remember learning that because you know it's throughout our life that we end up learning these beliefs that end up guiding and really being the lens that we look at life through and so in that moment you had that experience an experience a lot of us have right where we're driven to achieve to please to be up to par in in the eyes of others but at the end of the day what we're doing is we're actually we're not living within our own true selves and it doesn't mean we can't succeed and we can't achieve from our own place but it's a different foundation to be building from. What I'm curious about is in what you're saying, you've obviously done some reflection on this, but what I'm curious about is what was that moment, that moment in your life where you realized that that was a story or a question or a belief that you had? When did you realize that this was something that you were experiencing? You know, I... I don't know if there was a particular moment. All I know is that around the time that I was like 28, I was going through like a a lot of transformation. I, I was at this inflection point in my life where my fiance had just left me and I was living in the back of a van. I had a lot of debt and I didn't really have a lot of direction in my life. And so I was trying to figure out what my direction was, but before you can figure out where you're going, you kind of have to figure out where you are and how you got to where you are. And so I was doing a lot of reflecting and I know I have a psychology degree. And so like, I've always been fascinated with psychology, human performance, peak performers, and trying to understand like how to get the most out of myself. But at that point I started really thinking more through the lens of like, why, why do I want to do these things? Like, why do I want to go to that destination? And once I started unpacking that a bit more, I came to like a better realization of my internal motivations. And once you have that in hand, then you can more clearly plot the course. But before that, I was just kind of plotting courses based off of what I thought I was supposed to do or what other people expected me to do. And then you get to the destination and you you look around and you're like, well, now I'm here, but why am I here? Like this doesn't satisfy me for some reason. And that feels really strange then because you're like, well, I did what I was supposed to do. Why am I unhappy? Right. Like I should be happy now. <laughs> so, so then it was, so at that point in my life, I just was going on this quest of like, what would make me happy? What would lead to fulfillment rather than just achievement? Yeah. Well, it's such a beautiful example of why I asked this question at the beginning of every interview, because it's through these life experiences that we learn the most about ourselves and through hearing and understanding your experience my hope and what actually does happen is many of the listeners are able to compare and really relate to what you're going through. And so the way that this all relates back to passive investing and today's topic is that where we're coming from and what we're looking to create and why we're driven to do the things we do 
can make a huge difference in how we're actually showing up and experiencing life. And so from a passive investing standpoint, why are we doing this? What is the purpose behind making these investments? Why are we working so hard in our careers? And what is the purpose behind that? And why are we doing these things? And so when we can further understand the drive and the direction, and then we can apply some of the strategies we're going to talk about today, those two really pair well together. We can get our mind in the right place and then apply some of the strategies. Good things will happen. So let's dive right into passive investing made simple, you know, phenomenal guide that you put together, pulling some great information on investing. And I know that there's some really key points that are going to help people be able to make better decisions on going out and investing, you know, talking to 10, 20, 30 investors a week. And, you know, a lot of the same conversations and points people really need to understand. There's not a lot of great resources. I'm glad you're able to put something together. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the key things that up and coming passive investors need to know to be able to make the right decisions? I think you you alluded to something before that is like the, the very first step in the whole equation is really understanding yourself as the investor and what's your goal? Like what's your outcome? What's your desired outcome? And why is investing in real estate or the stock market or anything, why is that the vehicle that will get you to your destination? So it's really starting with a little bit of introspection and understanding your tolerances, your parameters, understanding what it is that you're looking to achieve, you know, and everybody's going to have a, a slightly different situation. And that's going to like their context is going to dictate what a good deal or a good operator to work with might look like. So if you're, you know, later in life and you're in that capital preservation phase, like the different, the operator you're going to look at is going to be focused on deals that focus on capital preservation. If you're younger and you want to get your capital, you know, nutshell as big as possible, as quickly as possible, you want to get that snowball going, you're going to look at different types of deals and different types of operators. And so that's, that's really step one is understanding where you are in the cycle. And then from there, finding the right operators and deals that will help you get to that, that desired end state. And so for us, our whole approach is always educate, educate, educate. And when you're new to passive investing, or even if you're really experienced, I don't think you can ever know too much, but there is a point where the knowledge needs to be applied. Otherwise you're just going to be kind of spinning your wheels. I think a lot of people get into that phase and in real estate, it's really easy to do that because it can feel so daunting and overwhelming and scary. And so our purpose in creating this book was really to help people go, okay, once I understand these things well enough, I'm ready to take action. I, I don't have to be in this analysis paralysis phase anymore. Now it's time to actually go and implement what I've learned. Well, it's so important, right? Because talking to investors, understanding why are we asking the questions about goals and why is it so important? Because if you're going to go down the path and you happen to be early in your investing, you're young, maybe you're making great money, you don't need to live off of that capital. Maybe your goal you know, the outcome that you're looking for is to grow your portfolio as quickly as possible. And so you might end up going with an equity growth focused or an appreciation focused strategy. However, maybe you're someone who needs to live off of this, or you're somebody who has a lower risk profile and you like to see those dividends coming in. Maybe you're going to go straight cash flow, or perhaps you're somebody who's going to be looking for both of those kind of a blend of the mix, kind of a cash growth or a, a hybrid of the two. And without understanding what the purpose is of the investment and what it is that you would need to accomplish as a result of investing, you really can't make a good decision 
And what that ends up leading to is when great sponsors, after you go through the process we're going to talk about here today, after you go through and you vetted a sponsor, it makes it almost impossible for you to decide if this is the investment that's going to be the right fit if you don't know what it is that you're actually looking for. So such a great point to start there. Yeah. And, and a good operator is like, as you go into this, this process, as you're having these conversations, they should be leading with that question because from their side, uh, you know, they don't want, they shouldn't want to work with just any old investor. They want to work with the right investors who their deals are going to serve the best. And, and it's a great, it's a great recipe for disaster. If you're just taking any old investor into your deal without really understanding what's their motivation and their, their goals, because without that, then I don't know if I actually have the right product for you. And any operator who's telling you, Hey, this is the best deal for you. And without understanding that, well, they're just trying to sell you the deal, not trying to, to help you on your journey. And so that's, that's really the, the big starting point is what are you trying to accomplish? Why do you want it? Why do you want to invest in real estate in the first place? Yeah. We spend a lot of time asking those questions and it's really helpful because it allows us as sponsors to know, well, where are the bulk of our investors looking? And it's part of the reason why we offer multiple different strategies. We have cash flow, cash growth, hybrid type focus, which is probably about 70% of our focus is how can we create some cash flow today and have a nice equity or appreciation bump at the back end. But then we, we also focus heavily on that equity growth. How can we create the largest bump in portfolio at the lowest risk and do so continuously? Because we have a lot of people who are younger in their 40s and 50s and happen to have great cash flow. They're not really looking to live off of that money. So as a result of knowing that, it allows us to best fit that strategy of what people are actually looking for into what we're able to do. So talk to me a little bit about what is the best process or the process that you recommend for people to be able to vet a sponsor and, and make these kind of educated decisions? Yeah, I think you're really trying to understand, like you, like you pointed out there, you guys have multiple products that you could, you could service somebody with and the right operator is going to recognize like, Hey, this is a good product for you, or maybe we don't have the right product for you. And then they can help connect you with the group or the organization that would best serve you. And so really what you're looking for, and, and this is, this is difficult is you're looking for somebody who has integrity. You're looking for somebody who has intelligence and you're looking for somebody who has the track record, like that has this proven ability because in recent years, syndication has become like this really sexy topic. It's a way for people to, to get into real estate with little or no money. They can be capital raisers, they can be deal finders. And that's all great. That's all fantastic. But also recognize that what you're doing when you're passively investing is you're not just giving somebody your money. Like if you look at the money as this exchange of value to have received that you exchanged a piece of your life, your time, it's a infinitely valuable resource because you're never getting it back. The time that went into earning that money is, is precious. And so the people that you're entrusting that with, you want to make sure that they have the highest integrity, that they're smart and that they know what they're doing. Like if they don't have those confluence of characteristics. Well, you're, you're giving your money to somebody who might not be able to do right. By it. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking about becoming a syndicator, I would really encourage you to think long and hard about the kind of the sacred responsibility that you're taking on when somebody gives you their money and not just looking at it as like, they gave me $50,000, but thinking about like what they had to sacrifice in order to get that. And what you really need to be doing is thinking, can I do right by this? Do I actually have the ability, the resources, the network to 
deliver the returns that we're, we're promising or, you know, forecasting, not promising necessarily, but saying, can I actually do right by this? And for me, the integrity is huge. Like, but that's a really hard one to vet, right? Like you can't just ask somebody, Steven, do you have integrity? You're going to be like, yeah, absolutely. One of the questions we used to ask, so I have a manufacturing business and when we'd hire, we would always ask people like, what's integrity mean to you? And it's fascinating to hear all the different things that people would say. And all it did was reinforce for us that it means something differently to everybody. And so you got to figure out how to get to the core of what integrity means to you and see if that aligns with your operator. Do you see the world similarly? And then the track record, have they actually done this thing before? Real estate, it's easy to get into. It's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to get out of. And it's hard to get out of it profitably. And so having seen that track record of we've done this before this many times, we've seen good times, we've seen bad times, that's huge. And then the very last thing, which I always say for, for last because it's, it's a very personal subjective one, is communication style. Making sure that who you're working with, they communicate in the same, on the same wavelength with you. Like... Steven, you could be the best operator in the world. I think you have the greatest integrity. You have a killer track record. But if for whatever reason, we just don't communicate on the same wavelength, it's going to make for a weird relationship. And these type of investments are long-term things. They're easy to get into. It's like a marriage, but they're hard to get out of. And if you're not communicating on the same wavelength, if you don't feel valued and respected at every point in the journey, then go find somebody else that does make you feel that way because you're worth it. It's super important that you spend this time up front getting to know the sponsor and understanding what it is that they're doing. And does that align with the strategy that's going to fit your goals? And, you know, I love the question, what does integrity mean to you? For me, what I always like to, to ask is, you know, tell me about a time that you lost money on investment. Talk to me about how you experienced that. Talk to me about what happened in that moment. Talk to me about why that happened and what you guys learn from it. And it's very telling if a sponsor has never had a loss. That doesn't mean that they have lost principal or lost investors' money, but there is things that don't go right all the time. And if they've been in the business long enough, personally, I have all the partners that we work with have been in the business for seven, 10 plus years. They have gone through hard times as well as good times. And so it's incredibly important to make sure you're aligning your interests with people who have already learned all of the lessons about how to operate this business before you're investing your capital with them. Now, as a passive investor, you're receiving majority of the upside, but you're also taking a good portion of the risk. The sponsor is going to go put all their time, effort, energy, and expertise to work to earn a living but you're going to be taking that money you've already earned and looking to grow your investment. And so I think that's super important. But one thing I will say is what I've noticed is that the sponsors who are the strongest are the ones that I personally would want to invest with are ones that have the same values as me. And in the sense that they're not afraid to turn an investor away. Being the fact that I speak with so many investors every single week, there are people that I meet that I realize we're not a good fit for what you're looking for. And there's plenty of times where I will say things like, if it's not 100% a win-win, if you don't feel really good about what we're offering and, and the process that we're bringing to the table, then I encourage you to find another sponsor. And it can sometimes seem like a push-off or maybe like 
a little bit of an ego thing to hear that when you're a passive investor, but be grateful that somebody has the enough integrity to say, we don't need your investment. We're only looking for people who are going to be a great fit because it is truly a marriage. And that's the reason why it's so important to be able to get on and ask these questions. So is there anything else that you do from a due diligence standpoint on the sponsors themselves to understand if they are a fit? Yeah, I mean, you can always do the whole referral thing and say, hey, can I speak to some past investors? But the problem with referrals, even professional referrals of like, hey, can I speak to like a broker that you've worked with in the past or a contractor like those? You can get some good feedback there, but generally you're going to be given the people who are raving fans and they're going to give you a, a slightly slanted perspective. What I like to see is, hey, can you show me past communications that you did? Can you show me the marketing package for a deal that went full cycle and show me the communications throughout that plus the, the end communication of like how the deal performed? Because it's one thing to say that we're going to deliver, say, 20% IRR. It's a whole other thing to actually deliver it at the end. And so I want to see that track record. And it's okay if the deal didn't go to plan. Like you mentioned, like failures happen. Nobody's batting a thousand out there. Like Tom Brady great quarterback. He's even lost games. Like it's okay to get kicked in the teeth. It's how you respond and, and, and how you react to that, that really matters. And what you're looking for is an operator who takes their lumps. They learn from it, they own it and they, they adapt and they say, this is what we've done to overcome that. And it does, so it doesn't happen in the future. This is what we learned from that. And that's what you're really looking for. If somebody says, you know, we've never really had a failure, like, well, I don't know. It seems like maybe maybe you're glossing over some things because if you look real deeply, you can always find something that you could have done better. You could find something that you're maybe a little embarrassed about, like, yeah, we didn't do that as well as we could have. One of the great questions that you alluded there to is understanding what's their value system. And nowadays, I think companies are starting to get like pretty savvy to like customers want to do business with companies who share their values. And so you have to have your value statements and your mission statements and your, all that stuff, like start with your why. We all understand that. What people I think are missing more is what are your individual values? So yeah, your company has its values at Invictus. We have our core values, but what is my value system as an individual? Steven, what, what, what are the three things that you value the most in your life? And like, I find that the people that I want to work with have really clearly defined personal values that they, they judge themselves against. They have like almost a code that they hold themselves to. And I, I like that because it shows that there's a self-reflection and self-awareness and a value system that I know when the chips are down, this is how they're going to react because these are the things that they hold to the highest standard. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And it's so important to understand what that is. I mean, many of you guys know Von Finch, Von Finch's story. And we started out flipping houses. We flipped over 200 houses, but I had this realization that I was building a business around clients that weren't my ideal client. They weren't the people I wanted to work with every single day. And one of the core decisions that I made was I wanted to surround myself with other successful people who really believed in creating a better life and were focused on growth. We're focused on the ability to not only grow their portfolio, but continue to become better people. And so it's one of the things that we look for. And you know, sometimes you'll talk to somebody and you can tell that they are in a different place. And I respect everyone wherever they're at. But I've noticed that if somebody is, you know, we have a no jerk policy at Von Finch. If somebody is a jerk or they have too high of expectations, we're going to be very clear up front that it's not a fit. And it's important to be able to do that because by being able to say no, you allow the opportunity to say yes to 
the clients that are the right fit. And for passive investors, for everyone who's listening or the sponsors that are listening, I hope you guys take that to heart because as an investor, it's okay for you to say, hey, no, know what? This doesn't feel right to me. There's a little bit of a gut feeling that's off. Maybe that's fear because you've never done this. And so you're afraid of making that investment. But if it's about a specific investor or person, then you really definitely have to listen. You definitely have to listen to that for sure. Mm -hmm. Your gut, your gut is almost never wrong in the, in the end. Right. And the idea that things that start hard end hard, if you're going into a relationship feeling pretty dubious or like, you're just not entirely there. Like there's no rush. First of all, like there's no reason to rush into a deal. We, we say that no deal is better than a bad deal. So take your time, recognize that there's a lot of fish in the sea. A lot of operators have go have all the conversations with them and figure out who you resonate the best with. It's, it's not, it's not a one and done once in a lifetime opportunity. We always get really scared um, or hesitant when an investor comes to us and they're like, Oh, we're afraid of missing out or we missed out on 2007, 2008 in the financial crisis. We didn't pull the trigger. We didn't act. And now we're afraid we're going to miss out because now seems like the perfect time to get in. We, when we hear stuff like that, it's, it, it tells us that it's not the right fit for us personally, because we take a really long conservative view. We're not out here trying to get rich on any single deal. We're trying to play a 30, 40, 50 year game. And if you're coming into it with like kind of that fear mindset, then it's maybe not a great fit for us, but go and find them, spend the time, give yourself the, the space to have the conversations because it's not a quick process. It can case in point for us, when an investor comes into our network, by the time they're ready to pull the trigger on their first deal, it's usually about 12 months. It's a 12 month process of watching us from a distance and seeing how we consistently behave in social media and our newsletter and our conversations with them. Are we showing up the same way that like every single time? And that's okay to give yourself a year, two years before you pull the trigger on working with somebody, because honestly, it's hard to see the full image of somebody in a small snapshot of one month or two months or three months. So I would say play on the long, like the, the long horizon is almost never going to do you wrong. What is too much to ask for? I hear this question sometimes because I definitely have experienced passive investors who are looking to make a $50,000 investment or our minimums are typically 75, but a $75,000 investment. And yet they're asking for the world. In your opinion, what do you think that limit is and how should passive investors be thinking about this when vetting a sponsor based on the amount that they're actually going to be investing? That's a great question. It's, it's going to be different for the investors and the operators that they're looking at. And generally, it's, it's interesting because it's usually the smallest investor uh, amounts, like the minimums, that usually pose the most time constraints. Like They usually want the most, they have the most questions and the most fearful. And it makes sense because they're doing the minimum investment. Maybe they don't have you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest. So that 50,000 means a lot more to them than maybe to somebody who's has millions of dollars and they're only putting in 200,000. Right. And so you have to be, you have to be, I think, empathetic to that. And the, the real question is from the operator standpoint is who is their ideal client? If, is there, if they're new and they're trying to work with investors who are newer to syndications, then they have to be aware that there's going to be more handholding and more helping them get comfortable with the equation. If you're a more solidified BlackRock type uh, of operation, you don't need to do that. Right? And so you're not going to, right? And so if you're an investor 
and you only want to put $50,000 in and you want more handholding, you need to go find that operator who's going to be willing to do that for you. And not every operator will. So be aware of that. But for us, I don't know if there's like a hard line in the sand that we draw and say, that's too much. It has to be, I think, gut feeling of like, does it make sense to be asking for this? Can, if we were in their shoes, is it reasonable to expect that? And if it's reasonable, we're, we'll, we'll do it. But there usually comes a point where it's like, okay, we're getting raked over the coals. This is a little bit too much, too much time. It's not worth the hassle. And that's when we say, you know, maybe this isn't the right fit for us. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it because I always recommend investors think about it kind of on balance. If someone's writing a million dollar check or a five or $10 million equity check, they have the ability to ask for a lot more personal financial statements, you know, past deal results, going through underwriting of past deals, going through book. I mean, when you're writing very large checks, you can expect more because what you're bringing to the table is much more. And so, it's really all on balance. And so my recommendation to investors is ask for whatever it is that's going to make you feel comfortable, but don't ask for more than that. And don't ask for something without actually having the intent to consider investing because what can happen, and I've heard many stories of this, I've experienced it myself. I've seen other sponsors talk about this, is that when you ask for too much, especially if you're a brand new investor, sometimes it can put you in a position where the sponsor quickly will flag you as somebody who might be more effort than the results are going to pay off. And so you never want to be put in that position. I say that hesitantly because I still think it's really important for you to be comfortable as an investor because this is your capital going in. And if it's not a fit, it's okay for a sponsor to say, hey, you know what? That investment's actually full. And it'll happen, actually. So, you know, you think about it, you want to ask those questions, you want to ask for those past deals, or you want to ask for an example of a past deal, you, you want them to walk through some questions on a due diligence call, and you want to get comfortable with them, maybe you can meet them at a conference or an event. But whatever that is, that at a certain point, you have to say, is this a fit or is this not? And then you move forward. And, and once you feel like the sponsor's a fit, where do you go from there? I know there's uh, really two other sections that we can cover with the time we have here. I want to touch on that last bit there because it's the Pareto principle. And what happens, I think, for the investors who end up asking for more and more and more and taking up a lot of time and energy is because they're, they're trying to get that last 20%. They're trying to get up to a full 100% certainty. And generally, I would say if you can get to 80% certainty, that's, that's probably enough. And once you're there, that last 20%, it's really hard to get. It's, you're going to have to go through the weeds. You have to put them through the ringer. And it's probably not going to sway your decision in the end one way or the other. It's All it's going to do is create more work. And so really your goal, I think, as the investor is to, to get to that 80% comfort. And then from there, recognize that last 20%, you're never going to be at 100. 80% is where you need to, to find your happy place. So once you've done that... Great way to put it. Yeah. And, and that's hard. Everybody's parameters is shifting and moving. But once you, once you have your operators figure like the next question is, and, and honestly, you're going to spend most of your time on that because what we always say is that you're betting on the jockey, not the horse. And yes, the horse is certainly important. The horse is going to run the race, but a good championship level jockey isn't going to get on a lame horse that has no chance of winning. Like Tom Brady isn't going to go to a team that he doesn't think he can get back to the Super Bowl and win it with, right? Like it's just not going to happen. And so you're betting on the jockey to 
select the right horse, first of all. And once you've done that, then you need to have some way of verifying that the deal makes sense to you, that the market makes sense, that the assumptions are there. But at the end of the day, you're really banking on that operator's judgment. That's really what you're paying for. So when it comes to the spreadsheets, when it comes to looking at the pro formas, you want to understand what are those few levers that can be pulled that have the biggest effect on a deal, because those are typically the ones that operators are going to pull when they want to show certain numbers and not show other things. And like, you need to understand that so that you can hold your operators accountable because at the end of the day, once you found the right operator, it's not that they're going to try and pull something nefarious on you, but sometimes we convince ourselves when, that the deal is better than it is. When we're operators, we spend too much time with the deal, we massage the numbers too much. And so your ability to read the spreadsheet, the pro forma, and call out certain questions is going to help you recognize, okay, did they sell themselves a little too much on this deal? Because that's human nature. It happens sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a really good point because there are going to be operators that are brand new to the space or maybe are being a little bit aggressive and they're going to really try to fit into that return number that they believe the investors are looking for. And they're going to maybe hope and pray that they're going to be able to get there, or maybe they're going to truly believe it. Now, what we've found is that most of the best operators in the market have realized that the, the best way to build a long-term business is to under-promise and over-deliver. Every time, yeah. And so most are going to end up leaving some great opportunities for revenue growth or for expense reduction off the table. And so I find that to be a great example question that you guys can ask. Hey, well, what have you not included in the pro forma that could add value? And what would that look like if it was to be included? And you know, you might see some examples like, Oh, well, we're actually going to be charging dog rent and we haven't included that. And that adds, you know, another $25 per unit or $50 per unit on average based on the current dogs that are in the place. Or maybe they have been very conservative on the expenses and realistically it's much lower. And so when you can ask these questions, you can start to uncover a little bit further about that level of conservatism that the operator is working from. And therefore, you can get in the mindset and the, the philosophy of how they're going about putting these deals together. If they don't have any of those examples, that's potentially okay. But I usually see that as a red flag, as something that means they could have packaged everything into the deal, unless you're looking at something with really high returns as it is. Yeah, you know, when we when we first started syndicating and presenting passive investors with marketing packages, we only ever showed them what we called base case. And in there, we weren't factoring in cash out refinances. We weren't factoring in the actual rent growth that we thought we would achieve. Like it, it, they were really conservative assumptions. And we would get a lot of questions from people asking, okay, so what would it look like if you were to factor these things in? So what we've done in the last handful of deals is we present our base case, which is what we want our investors to put in their brain as this is what we're shooting for. And then we also put in stretch goals where, okay, now we factored in the cash out refinance. We don't know what the market's going to look like in two to three years, what the lending environment will look like. So we don't want you to, we're not going to bake this into our base case, but we want you to see where we've been extra conservative and, and point those out for you. So you can say, okay, this, this makes sense. So you get like a kind of a spectrum of like, this is base case. This is maybe the, the stretch goal. And our goal is always to exceed the stretch goal. 
So we're not actually showing you all the places where we've been really conservative. We're not factoring that in. And I think it's, it's a really interesting conversation point when an investor and an operator talk about, okay, where have you been overly conservative? What's that look like? Because if the operator doesn't really have anything to talk about, then to your point, I think it's, it's a little bit of a red flag. It's like, okay, so you've, you've literally put all the cards onto the table. You're factoring in everything here. So there is no, I don't know, best case scenario that this is best case, What you're showing me really is best case. Yeah. I think that's such a big point. Well, this has been really phenomenal diving into this and really understanding how we can best understand what are those first steps for picking a sponsor and getting comfortable and then eventually making that investment. What would you like to share with the audience to wrap up on advice when it comes to getting started passive investing? You know, the, the biggest thing is a piece of advice that uh, I got from Naval Ravikant, which uh, is just, he's just a great trader, great thinker. And it was play long-term games with long-term people. Recognize that real estate is a long-term game. So don't rush into anything. Do the, spend the time, do the due diligence. The deals will be there. The great operators will still be there in a year, two years, 10 years, 30 years. And those are the people that you're really trying to build the relationships with. And you don't need to go out there and do deals with every single operator under the sun. Find three or four or five that you really like and go along with them. And that's, that's going to, that's going to do you really well in the long term. I think that's such good advice and it's been really fun diving into this. I feel like we could have a part two, three, and four, and maybe we will. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah. So you can find me at InvictusMultifamily.com. The book is at PassiveInvestingBook.com. So go check that out. I think it's going to be hopefully a great resource for people that want to learn more about passive investing without you know, feeling overwhelmed and feeling like, oh, this is too much to take on. And maybe I'll just keep investing in the stock market or whatever. And so check that out. And even if you're an experienced passive investor, I think it can help guide some of your future questions as you're looking at operators or future deals. So go check those out. Um, otherwise I'm on social media, come and find me. I'd love to have a conversation. Wonderful. Well, it was such a pleasure diving in with you. And I'll leave you guys with this reminder to ask yourself, well, what did I learn from today's episode and how can I apply it in my life? And Thank you guys so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com slash invest. Join me on that next deal and I look forward to seeing you on the inside. listening to the investor mindset podcast if you like what you heard make sure to rate review subscribe and share it with a friend head over to the investormindset.com to join the insider club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level